Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. everybody it's 2 p.m on a wednesday afternoon you're tuning in to cannabis legalization news with miggy from weednews.co and tom from cannabisindustrylawyer.com today we're going to be getting into a little bit of cannabis news but first we're going to talk with brian from stage lighting solutions uh actually miggy what's going on with the news today so the big thing going on this week is louisiana they have their first dispensary wow I know what wait, what type of dispensary is this a uh, medicinal cannabis? Can you buy flour there? I just put the link on, but I got a big echo. Do you have an echo? No. No Do echo. You have a mic in your place? Yeah, I'm looking. Wow, it was crazy looking. Well, we may I'll have two you. mics, but we are live, so try to press on through. Those poor viewers might just be abandoning in droves. Well, we got a better video now, so you know they're gonna stay just for the presentation. No, no, that's not how it works, man. We have to compete with like uh, we're on the radio here, so it looks like in ABC you are able to go to. I, you, the links don't work very well, so you know if you're gonna share the links, um, uh, this is Streamyard, and it appears that Streamyard's um, link sharing isn't uh, populated yet. But whenever you're trying to make stuff out of Socket IO, you know how that goes. Uh, and then the other thing that was really big in, in my news for this week, which was kind of a blur, uh, so much of a blur, I've misplaced it. I got a, I got a letter from HempFest, and uh, you know what that means. It means that uh, something's in it. And so fortunately, I think you know, through the powers of deduction, the only thing that HempFest really would have mailed me is my ticket. And so they do I actually mail you a ticket. I can't believe that. That's something else. Uh, so thank you. I can't wait to see uh, Jimmy Roman's legal campaign. Important person. So what else was going on in the legalization news uh, for the week, Miggy? Did you see any other great stories come up? Well, you know, Thailand's on the uh, uh, step before of legalization. What's on the subject court of the legalization? 
man, uh, this echo is bad on my side. Oh wow, I have like none. I switch, I switch headphones just like, and it's even like in my head now. Oh, good. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe next time try a reboot on it. And I, I realized that that's, that's kind of a bummer that uh, you have that echo. It's, it's not impacting me, which makes me go like, well, I'm sorry about that. But yeah. uh, uh, so it just, it, maybe it's just voices in your head. You ever considered it just being voices? Well, I do drink besides smoke weed. Well, there you go. But I'm really excited to see you next week at the VIP. Well, I'm not sure you're going to go to the VIP thing, but I will be standing outside with you. And then when we're doing the live feed next time, I think I can just do it from my iPhone. Uh, provided that uh, does HempFest have Wi-Fi? They don't. We're going to have to get a brick of some sorts, but we're going to have a space. Uh, I'll be having uh, hosting at a prisoner booth. Nice. So we're going to be raising funds there uh, throughout the three days. But uh, it's definitely doable. There's all kinds. Of- Great feed. Um, I think we should give some footage of us holding hands and walking and frolicking for the uh, intro. Uh, that sounds like a, a lot of. We, we're going to find some swings, and uh, like we're going to be, you know, like kids just swinging together. And because the the music that they had, but I really want to thank Dustin for making that for us. It was really sweet of him. Too. Yeah, that's dope. And he said he was going to get that to me a few weeks ago. I'm like, awesome. Now we have uh, bumpers, but now we have to make sure that we do the show better and figure out what the heck's wrong with your uh, your echo. Has that still? Yeah, this is wild, dude. Man, like, sorry about that. I'm well, closing I mean, tabs I, out. And... That stinks, dude. Uh, the real thing that happened uh, this week is looked like Florida. There's a, an attorney in Florida named Morin, or is it Moran? And uh, Bob, Bob Moran. No, Joe. Joe Morgan. My God. Oh, the, 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 the recreational legalization guy, the casino owner. Is he a casino owner? That wouldn't surprise me. I know he's a lawyer and I know that he helped bankroll stuff. And usually when lawyers yeah. help bankroll stuff, they've won some stuff already and they have a lot of money. Uh, and so he helped with the uh, legalization of medical cannabis in Florida in 2016 uh, and probably also in 2012 when it only got like 58 percent of the vote, and not the full 60, whatever it finally got. So if they put uh, recreational cannabis on Florida ballot, then it looks like Florida might be joining Illinois in uh, legalized cannabis. Ooh, probably Is Florida's uh, process uh, legislative like yours was? No, they can actually go to the people uh, and do the ballot initiative, which may amend their constitution. We need to have John Morgan on. Uh, I'm not going to try to show him this uh, episode where I butchered his name and called him Mr. Swanson uh, first. <laughs> You know, and it's it's my fault for never meeting the guy. So I wasn't able to uh, remember his name elegantly. But go Florida. Hey, so uh, I'm asking the uh, room to see how the audio sounds to uh, our uh, uh, producer viewers. <laughs> yeah, think, of, think of the word. All right. Yeah. <laughs> things we used to have before we had to switch the um, uh, format because Google handed Hangouts. But typical you know, IT's making everything better. Yeah, no, technology is important. And okay, YouTube says it's okay. Yeah, but do you still have the echo? I, I do, and uh, I'm just trying to figure out if it's uh, you talking now or you talking five minutes ago. <laughs> you sure that you didn't? Maybe those edibles just kicked in. But uh, again, technology is huge, and we're going to be talking to Brian Gandy here in just a bit yes. after the news summary with uh, Sage Lighting Solutions. And one of the big things that happened in technology was. Uh, 2018, when LED lights started to be able to compete against the high-pressure sodium lights, and there's going to be a lot of detail on that, so please do stick around. And it's it's not all that far away because um, one of the things that happens in the summer, specifically in August, there is a large congressional recess at 
basically all layers of government. And so uh, trying to find anything that's happening or getting done, it, it just ain't none. And, well, yeah. the unfortunate part is what is always happening is like the arrest or the, uh, uh, the, 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 the bad stuff of prohibition. You know, I just got them putting an article about uh, prohibition kills, not marijuana. Um, and I cite several references throughout the past two years of just horrible shit going on. And uh, the whole point being is uh, you take that small little portion and magnify it by the past over 100 years. That is the result of the, the cancer of prohibition on our society. Well, there's a lot of it. And that's one of the things that the Illinois law is rectifying with their social equity applicants and the social equity applicant trajectory into being a social equity company that has 10 full-time employees, at least 51% of which are uh, from a disproportionately impacted area, which is a map we still don't have, or uh, they were arrested for an expungeable offense, which tune in uh, in a couple of weeks. I'll probably have that one shot and uh, put together. The next video that I'm doing, I already scripted, but because I live now in two places at once, which that also might be causing the echo in Miggy's uh, screen is that I'm, I'm co-locating between here and Chicago now that, um, well, I lost my train of thought. Oh, goddamn, uh, goddamn. <laughs> it's okay, man. We'll, we'll figure this one out. So, uh, was it, was, oh, wait, is it working again? Something cleared up. They get not as bad. Well, you know, I'm just kind of more worried about how this is. I, I've muted all my phones and everything like that. Hopefully, uh, we can now try to get to the uh, the guest. What do you think? Should we get to the guest? Yeah, let's talk to the guest. I love talking to the guest. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. Hey, Brian. Do you have an echo in there? No, I'm all good in here. All right. All right. Well, man. Why don't you tell us a little about Sage Lighting Solutions? Cool. Um, so a little bit about my background. I started Sage Lighting Solutions last fall. I've worked uh, in the last five years in LED product research and development. My background is in horticulture, and I'm also studied in sustainable business and permaculture. So um, I'm a reluctant businessman, but I know about LED, and I know how to help people start into a fresh market using appropriate technologies. Uh, when I saw the Illinois market and had the opportunity to come visit here for family, I thought I'd reach out to some local experts, and here we are. So I love the opportunity to talk about my topic. Um, hopefully, you guys can hear me all right. Oh, yeah, we're really great. Talk about uh, what's the type of lights that are usually used to grow cannabis indoors? So traditionally, um, like I said, I'm visiting in Illinois, but I've been in Colorado for the last 10 years, and the kind of industry standard is high-pressure sodium, uh, basically modified street lighting. Uh, if you remember the old orange flickering street lights from a few years ago, that's kind of the technology that was adapted to bring into people's basements and closets to grow with because that was all that was available. Since we've had the uh, kind of renaissance in the industry, we've been able to come out of the closet and the newer technologies have improved so much. We've now gone to LED lighting, which is light emitting diodes, uh, the little green lights that you normally see on the dash of your car or on a video game or something like that. But now we've been able to take those chips, put them onto fixtures and um, actually grow plants with them. And like uh, Tom mentioned earlier, I, I estimate, and I've been doing this for several years, I wish it was five years ago that the technology was there, but about, I'd say early 2018, there's a couple of companies that were putting out fixtures that were actually performing as good, if not better, than high-pressure sodium. What do you mean by performing as good, if not better, than high-pressure uh, sodium? What types of performance differences are there with these different types of lights? So 
we'll see uh, with high pressure sodium, you know, it's just raw horsepower. You got to put the lights about three feet above the canopy to really get good performance. Um, a lot of people were advertising when LEDs first came out for horticulture, 100 watts or 200 watts would re replace 1,000 watts. That's not true. That's never been true, and it won't be true for a long time. So just in the last three years, really, the leading manufacturers have kind of hit this target number, 600 or 660 watts, and those fixtures are now comparable to perform by yield as well as 1,000 watt high-pressure sodium. So the 660 watts. If I'm going to get it from LED, is it going to take the same amount of power that if I was getting it from an HDS? Um, I mean, you could draw, there are actually 600 watt HPS, but we're going to get into the potential yields that you can actually see from that amount of wattage. So with a high pressure sodium, the kind of the one pound, or excuse me, one, two pounds per light is by one gram per watt. Now there's people that are doing better than that with the newer HPS technology that's kind of moved on a little bit too. But this is kind of the benchmark. If you're hitting one gram per watt, especially in a commercial facility, you're doing a very good job. Um, but the potential yields with LED are easy to achieve 1.5, so that's a 50% improvement over the HPS. And I've seen, and theoretical yields are even higher than 2.3 to 2.4 grams per watt. So you can actually get more yield by using an LED system. Are there any other benefits? Uh, yes, you get less power draw, that's the easy one. Um, in doing so, you're putting out less heat. There's less conversion of the wall plug power into just raw heat for several reasons. Um, better yield per watt, better environmental control. So when you're growing cannabis, especially indoors, you absolutely want total control of your environment. If you can control the humidity, the lighting output, and everything, you just have it fine-tuned, you'll have less problems with pests, disease, then you have to spray less. It's just a better run facility. So LED allows you to have that absolute control. Um, also, now with square footages and especially urban areas like you guys are going to be dealing with here, um, the ability to go vertical is facilitated by LED. So we can put three tiers of growth in one room where there was only one before. The older technology, the high-pressure sodium or HID lighting, high-intensity discharge, was all geared to be hung in a greenhouse about 14 feet or so, 15 feet off the ground, and just blanket the light way down below it. So now the industry standard, like the Gavita double-ended high-pressure sodium, can only run at about 30 inches to 36 inches from the canopy. Any closer than that, it's just going to burn the plants, like physically burn them like a heat lamp. So um, vertical applications are possible now, which is crucial for indoor gardening. Um, it's easier to work under. It's called CRI, uh, Color Rendering Index. It has a higher crisper, like these are LEDs in here, I have no doubt. It's very clear, crisp light, so it's easier to work under, easier to diagnose plants for nutrition, for pests or pathogens. So it's just a better environment to work in, and it's way easier on the eyes. Um, and then moving forward, no one's really mastered it yet. There's a few fixtures out there, but you can control the spectrum to actually manipulate aspects of growth of the plant. Um, that's Brian? Yes, sir. <clears throat> on that spectrum tip, I know that's something that's been really been... Um... Curious on my side. Uh, oh, by the way, I fixed the uh, the echo. It was a uh, multiple tabs issue. Thank uh, God. <laughs> I was freaking out, man. Yeah. <laughs> freaking out. But um, with the with the multiple spectrum, I know like with LEDs in the beginning, um, that was a big issue. You're not getting a full uh, uh you know, was the the red and the light or the red and the green uh, spectrums. Uh, is there something like? Is Ibrick Grow going to be the same when it comes to the spectrum uh, input, or like do different plants have different drains? You know, as far as you know, 
the UV respond to different lights. Yeah. Okay. So the older the older technology, this is uh, another leaf rock. So when I talk about the higher visibility, this is where the lighting actually leaf rock from hyper efficient to now a better environment. So we used to have these spikes in blue and then red. And that's why you saw those like purple lights. You still see them on eBay and Amazon. We call those blurple. Now blurple. those those, those <laughs> target photosynthetic reactions dead on. It's just a serendipity in science. It's really weird. We got lucky, but now with the newer technology, we actually changed it into a full spectrum. Sometimes you show a little spike in red, but this is where we can see and that we are finding plants actually utilize green light, not to the same extent as the red and the blue, but when you get into the quality of light, um, some people will still argue that quantity of light is paramount and you just put more light in the room, you're gonna get more yield. That's true to an extent, but now we're starting to be able to uh, manipulate, you know, the ratios. The, the really only applicable thing that I'm focusing on right now is the red to blue ratio. More red, you get longer stretch. More blue, you get shorter plants. And a lot of these pictures that you used to buy online would have like a veg setting or a bloom setting. Yeah. That would just put on the blue lights or the red lights, but then the total output was significantly reduced. So now we have fixtures. Um, Lumer Grow, there's a couple of like, really nice pictures out there where you can change the quality of light without changing the quantity of light, if that makes sense. Interesting. So you can really tweak your plants to see how they're gonna respond and actually manipulate them for different reasons. Outside of that, the spectral control, a lot of it's still speculation, but there's tools out there, there's certain pictures where you can actually go in, you know, experiment for yourself. And that's what I recommend, but- We got a- Go right, guys. We got a question from Engineering Biz. Uh, how is quantity of light measured based on time? Quantity of light over time? I'm not sure. It's measured in PPF photosynthetic flux. So when you look at a new fixture or a new lamp of any kind, there's a PPF rating, which is the total output. That's the total quantity of photosynthetically active radiation. That's 400 to 700 nanometer light. That is the number you should be looking for when you're buying fixtures. Like the new Gavita fixture and the new Fluence fixtures, they can hit about 1700 um, PPF. So that's total amount of light coming out. Now how that light is dispersed, and that's light over time. That's number of photons over a quant amount of time. So that's the rate of light. And then how that is broadcast, you know, Uniformity versus a high amount of light, that's where you get into the different shapes and different form factors. With, but um, that. with the, um, the technology now, with the, um, like I remember back in the day, you'd see a huge five foot by four foot you know, panel, and then like half would be one spectrum, the other half would be another spectrum, and then that's what you utilize and grow. Has the technology gotten better? I know LEDs, like smaller, better, faster. Is it now where like one LED will? Do the whole spectrum or where, where are we at now with that? Yeah, totally. And that's where I guess, um, you know, the higher visual aspect that that lends itself to the full spectrum. We're looking at full spectrum lighting here. So it's got all the colors that make white light. So yes, we can get all of those out of one point source. I mean, the smallest thousand watt replacement is still bigger than a normal thousand watt HPS. But the, the footprint and the form factors in the actual fixture weights, the weight has been the biggest issue, I think, because of um, just the amount of aluminum it takes to cool. But now we're getting much more consolidated, much more condensed and easier to apply technology. 
Yeah, when you say like it, more to cool, isn't it that these lights from the LED lights, they are cooler, so you're not going to have the same type of load that you would have on your air conditioner in the summer? That is true to an extent, but it's also misadvertised a lot of time. Um, LEDs still put out a fair amount of heat, but the heat is just coming from the fixture in the, the chips themselves. Whereas high pressure sodium lights put out actual infrared light. So it's like the food heater at a restaurant. You know, when they put it on there to expo your food, you stick it on there, you feel the heat. It's like standing under the sun. So without that in the room too, you've also, you just cut your HVAC requirement in half. And another thing that when people convert a room over from HPS to LED, one of the first things I tell them to do is call somebody with dehumidifiers because people used to rely on that extra heat from the high pressure or HID lights to actually cycle their HVAC. And now with LED, you do need to make sure you have enough dehumidification in the room. It gives you better control in the end, but it's one thing that a lot of people who are selling LED overlook or just don't want to sell. Um, because they're trying to sell fixtures, not the process. So it sounds like it's kind of selling the whole system. Depending on what lights you use, your HVAC loads may uh, be different. And in the Illinois applicate, well, in the Illinois statute for craft grows, the application is going to require your plans for your HVAC systems and also your plans for how environmental, how green you are. So is it a more green uh, organization of your cultivation facility if you use an LED system? 100%. <clears throat> your net improvement on cooling can be 50% roughly. Your total power draw compared to a high pressure sodium or um, legacy system, like you said, is going to be about 50%. I mean, literally you can cut your power draw in half. So you're pulling half off the grid and still getting comparable yields, um, even with the extra hardware. So does that factor into this, this uh, is this just watts per gram and it doesn't have to do, because you heard that statistic about uh, 50 cents on the dollar of indoor grown cannabis is from energy. Yes. So like, is this that dollar, I'm sorry, that uh, gram per watt, is that just wattage has no regard to energy? This is only wattage as it pertains to the lighting fixtures itself. You have to do a, good, a more holistic view to get the whole HVAC system and set up, but it's it's comparable. And again, I mean, there might be some people that want to shoot that down, but it's it's when you get into systems engineering, it's really hard to grasp all the inputs. But it's I mean, because we're generating so much less heat just in raw conversion to the usable light, and then we're not putting off the infrared light, it's um, it's very comparable to fifty percent. Hey, Brian, go ahead, Mickey. Okay, yeah, Brian, with your services, the uh... Being that someone who has experience with growing and been probably doing this now for several other grows, do you, with your services, do you offer like a continual, like you're part of like, once you install the lighting, you can you know, suggest like, no, you need this lighting or this ventilation because I mean, like you're saying, you know, the HVAC system is going to be needed right after you relied on so much heat from the lights themselves. Are you, are you proactive in that kind of sense with the grow? I am. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm the nerd you get with the with the sale. Um, you can call me anytime with cultivation questions. Um, I love that part of it. And I've also got some resources in Colorado that have operational facilities that you can use um, as a model and also use them as consultants as well to just see it running. And then, um, as far as the technology improvements go, or if you need to make tweaks, that's what I do. And then part of our business model is we do um, equipment leasing over a, an amount of time. So. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at LED lighting from three years ago or four years ago, 
you wouldn't want to be holding that bag. And then the same may be true in another three or four years. So yeah. you can actually roll over a term. And if you want new pictures in three years, we can repurpose the old ones oh, wow. and provide new technology. Do you know how long uh, an, HPS, uh, an HPS lighting system lasts? So the HPS, one of the uh, main benefits between HPS and LED is you have to relamp the HPS. Relamp it? What does that mean? Put a new bulb in. Your bulb burns out. Um, and they say with the double enders, you can swap them once a year, but I still recommend every six months minimum because, you know, if, you, if your light output decays by 10%, that's 10 cents on the dollar that you're losing. So a lot of people wait till the lamps burn out, but they might be burning out at 60% output. LED fixtures will hold 90% of their output for a lot of manufacturers are guaranteeing five years now. Wow. So you won't see that marked uh, decrease in yield for a very long time, whereas HPS, you have to deal with it twice a year. And if you're not scheduling, technically you're supposed to replace the reflector and the lamp. And then the reflector is made of aluminum and the lamp contains mercury. So oh, good. You, heavy metals. Yes. Yeah. So you're stuck disposing of them. And no, no, not only is there heavy metals, are there any other cancer risks associated with these other types of lights? Yes. Uh, one of the main, uh, one of the drawbacks from LED, a lot of growers will argue is that there's no UV. I think from a personal protective indoor working environment, the fact that you're not working under street lights that can contain UV is a benefit. Um, I've, I've met kids in their 20s that have melanoma from working under too many grow lights for too long. Now with LED, a lot of the UV technology is not quite there yet, but they have standalone fixtures that you can put in. And when you go to work in a room, you can actually turn the UV off so you significantly reduce the risk to the operator, which is a huge benefit. We got a question for you, Brian, about um, for your uh, your business. Is it mostly for industrial or do you also do like small home grows, you know, personal? I, all of the hardware that I spec is geared towards commercial and industrial applications. But when it comes to the smaller grows, I will absolutely help anyone find the right fixture. Um, all the, the stuff that I sell online for commercial applications, you can buy in ones and twos. And I actually have some um, relationships with the commercial vendors where I can get smaller quantities of their fixtures that they don't normally sell to the public. So I'm, I'm in it for the science. I will, I'm happy to help anybody. Um, I've got two unboxings and kind of new product reviews that are going up. I'm going to follow Tom's lead here and put up uh, awesome content to just put out educational material um, because this is all moving so quickly. I don't want to forget what I did last year with the technology and I want to timestamp it so we can look at those things for some advice and yeah, I'm happy to help anybody. We call it the fire hose in cannabis. And so like that is really part of it because the reason why we put out all this educational content is because it is a big industry that most people have had blinders on for their whole lives. And now they, they see there's an actual economic benefit for getting into it. There's profits to be made and they want to get in, but they don't have the knowledge and the understanding of how complicated it can be and how fast it's evolving with these types of applications. Because the, the actual grow now there is a lot of science that goes into it. And when you look at the scoring for your craft grow application, and there's only a there's only a hundred slots that get the license. So if you're gonna risk putting an HPS or what's the other lighting? Uh, ceramic metal halide. So yeah, one of those legacy lighting systems in, how is that gonna impact your application score when it comes to how you're approaching your environmentalism? 
how you're approaching uh, the cost per dollar on, on the actual energy for your output volume. It would also be impacting your profitability because if it's gonna cost you 30 cents more on the dollar because of your HVAC and lighting costs plus the replacements of those lights over the duration and you're just you're sucking more power and you're you know you're you're contributing to the carbon footprint of your craft grow why didn't you plan around that that would be my question if i was scoring that application yeah and like you were saying uh, earlier about social equity i mean a better working environment and a lower risk working environment for employees huge i mean you're going to be a lot of people are going to be working indoors completely under this light source and right. it'll be unhealthy to work visually and for your skin. For people that aren't aware, uh, let's talk about what type of clothing people that are working in a cultivation center very often wear when they have legacy systems. This should be completely covered, uh, physically covered over your arms and hands, um, hats and sunglasses. You should look like you're working yeah. in a field in Southern California. Right, I mean, it's, it's really a lot of light and they have cottage industries for people that can actually wear protective clothing and then the, 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 the glasses so you don't burn out your retinas. It's something else and to be able to provide uh, a greener product at a better price and for safer for your employees. There's a lot of wins that come up with uh, LEDs, but let's not just say that they're the next amazing, you know, sliced bread invention. Are there any downsides? Um, the downsides would be the upfront cost. Um, that still deters a lot of people. Um, and I'm not going to you know, split hairs for like the 5,000 square foot facility. The potential upfront cost for LED could be around a quarter million, where HID could be 100,000. So you're still going to have to put out a significant amount of money to get traditional lighting. The return on investment now, without any rebates from the power company, this could be still inside of two years. Because if you're pulling 37%, 40% less power just from the lighting itself. Um, and that's just power, that's not, when you do the $100,000 number, thinking it's cheaper because you're gonna use HPS, does that fake into the cake replacing those bulbs twice a year for four years? No, that's, it, this is just power. Yeah, and I can, if anybody wants to reach out, we can chart it out, we can put in uh, your power rate, your potential rebates, which is something that we didn't really get into because this is a newer market in Illinois, right. but I started looking into it, uh, power companies and, um, different states and metropolises will actually provide a rebate when you choose a higher efficiency fixture. I was going to ask you about that, Brian, because um, here in Seattle, we uh, love nature and uh, everything has a discount for the power company that I can make my house more energy efficient. Now, I imagine for a company, uh, if you can create that small uh, footprint, it's got to be a huge federal and statewide. Yeah. Uh-oh, I lost somebody. Uh-oh. Man down. Man down. Man down. <laughs> Looks like we're having some technical difficulties. Let's oh, get it back in. I'm still on YouTube, though. I can see it. <laughs> we're good. You're on YouTube now, too. <laughs> Hi, YouTube. <laughs> Feel free to ask any questions, guys. Yeah, shoot them if you got them. Uh, but, you know, the we're learning a new program. It's what it is. It's okay. Holy I had my issues. It's threefold. <laughs> What's that, Mickey? Oh, we had a little technical glitch. Uh, you probably didn't see it, but uh, you weren't there for a minute. We're, <laughs> we're in radio over here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you weren't there for about two seconds. Well, you know what you wouldn't be able to see in radio, though, when it comes to these LED lights, is all that beautiful cannabis growing underneath them. But I've read and I've seen some stuff 
sometimes when you're growing some really big colas and they get up to, and by colas, I mean, you know, the flowering buds at the tops of the female marijuana plants, cannabis plants, uh, they kind of go white at the very end. There's some, some snowflaking, I'm not sure what the technical name is around there. Why do they do that? Or have you heard of this? Yeah, so it's actually really common with, I've seen it once under HPS. Um, this guy was growing Girl Scout cookies under some lights that were just slammed on top of the plants. It's called um, hash tips. It's a photomorphogenic response. Somebody may correct me on that. Photomorphogenic responses, everybody. That's, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> so the, plant actually, the plant actually has the inertia to grow the physical structure, but it's under too much stress that it won't produce chlorophyll. So the tips of the plants will be bright white. It did happen under older LEDs where they were putting the, the optics to focus it as tight as they could onto the top of the plant. So it was like, 3,000 micromoles at the canopy, which is dangerous in an indoor environment. You see that hash tipping. Um, yeah. With, with the, um, the LED versus uh, uh, the archaic, the old lighting, um, I know uh, terpenes, it, the quality of the actual the plant, it, what's the difference of between LED versus HPS or anything else? And again, a lot of old school growers will argue tooth and nail that you can't get the same um, resin content or terpene profiles with LED. Um, I've got a grow in Denver that's even running an older generation of LED technology and they grow purely for extracts <clears throat> and edibles and they crush it. I mean, there may be some benefit to having UV and you can get that with LED, but as far as just pure product and terpene profile, it to me relies more on the genetics and the genetics response to the light source. I have seen some strains underperform under LED. That's because they were brought indoors 30 years ago to run under HPS. They, they work well together. To that effect, there are some strains that work better under LED. I mean, I know some guys that are getting um, 24 to 25% out of a Bubba Kush uh, pre-98, which normally- There's no LEDs then. Well, it, exactly. It maxed out at 18 or 19. It's great herb at 18 or 19, but when you see it push 24, 25%, it's hard to argue with the results. So yes, terpene production can be improved by UV, but it's, there's not people buying thousands of fluence pictures right now because it doesn't generate a great product. And also to your effect about the colas being you know huge underneath some HPS plants, when you go to trim those plants, you end up with the baseball bats at the top, and then we call it LARF at the bottom. So it's just like scraggly. Goes I think they call it popcorn here in Illinois. Popcorn. Well, there's popcorn as mid-range. And oh. the LARF is just the. Wow. The, I didn't know it was below popcorn. <laughs> it, goes <laughs> yeah. it goes straight into the hash pile. It's never meant to be smoked. But one of the benefits of doing um, LED is because of the uniformity of light that you get, you'll actually get a grade A product from the top of the plant to the bottom of the plant, cutting your waste in a, in a fresh flower production facility down a significant amount. And your, your, uh, your facilities, I mean, if you're talking about fresh flower waste product, your waste product also has to be tracked and every craft grow is gonna have to have, for lack of a better term, like a coffee mill grinder that they grind up their stems and seeds and stalks. There shouldn't be any seeds if you're using clones, but whatever, uh, into something and mix it with garbage so it's unusable. And oh my God. So it has to get baked into your application. And then this, this large wood chipper that you're gonna use to make compost that's unusable 
that's that's also another cost that you're going to have to put into your plan when you're trying to get one of the 40 craft grow licenses available in Illinois for 2020 or one of the 60 that are available in Illinois for 2021. Hey, Thomas, do they have that kind of stipulation? I mean, the fact that you have to go to that access to get rid of the waste of stems and, and, and leaf. Uh, is there such a thing for alcohol or Astrans or any pharmaceuticals in that area? Uh, no, no. See, Miggy, what you're failing to understand is this is about cannabis. So rules of sense and, and reasonableness, they have not applied in 80 years. So why would they start now? That's true. True. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, then a, a tip of the hat to Illinois, too. As far as I've seen from the outside, I keep the law at arm's length and rely on people like yourself. But it looks like Illinois, even though it's somewhat limited on the quantity, they're trying to be as fair to the process as possible by modeling successful systems like Colorado. Colorado is yeah. states that are just not doing it well. They are they're, they're wild west. Oklahoma is the wild west, for example. Yeah. In the spectrum. They just let it go and the market will sort itself out. Wow. Good luck on that. And they've only got, I think, 3.5 million people now. That's still a lot. You know, when you have 3.5 million people right there, with, I mean, it, when we're hearing those stories about Oklahoma, Biggie, it reminds me of your stories where you're telling me, and it's blowing the back of my mind out, that there were farmers markets in Washington State where you could buy, like, bulk flour and then just smoke it there. And I'm like, what? We still have one. As far as I know, there's one outlaw. Can I go to that when I'm there next week? Uh, is, that, is, it, is it open on Saturdays? I mean, I'll be there on a Saturday. It's fun day, right? But I think you might be so busy at Hempfest, dude. And in three days, it's a mile and a half stretch. I mean, I do. Wow. Yeah. A mile and a half of Hempfest. And fortunately, you know, thank you for making it to minutes uh, 35 of the show. But uh, now that we've passed 1,000 subscribers, we can do live feeds from our mobile devices. And then also uh, we're able to do like polls and show pictures and other fun YouTube engagement stuff. It's not just about having great content. It's also about gimmicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we do a pretty, pretty big correct, correct. Good service. So let's talk. Let's get back to the meat and potatoes, because the point of this show is to say, like, all right, well, a craft grows 5,000 square feet. This lighting system is quarter mil, but I've been telling my people that it looks like it's gonna be at least a $2 million investment simply because of the HVAC systems, the complexities that are involved, and how, how green do you wanna make your system in an attempt to uh, maximize your points on your application? So that is a large investment, and it's a risky investment because there's only 40 licenses uh, that are available. What are your cash flow uh, possibilities from a craft grow? So we're going to talk about that now. Take it away. Yeah, so I've run through three scenarios here. One is the quote-unquote traditional. This is the way it's been done uh, with high-pressure sodium. You can do very well. I mean, at 180 fixtures to cover 5,000 square feet, that's roughly 28 square feet per fixture. It may be a little less. These are close enough to count. Um, so wattage, about 1050 grams per watt, like I said, that's two pounds per light. That used to be the gold standards. You can do better, but in a commercial setting, that's a reasonable mark. Uh, wholesale price per pound, we kicked this around um, in Colorado. It's actually come up a little bit across the country. I think it's doing a little better. What is it? Because this is an assumption that we made in the modeling. And uh, when you are a dispenser, you have to source your flour wholesale, you're a cultivator, you're going to then sell your, your flour in bulk to the dispensary. And so the, the price that we kind of guesstimated for Illinois, because it's kind of opaque, they don't publish that data uh, all that much, and it's a very, very small market segment right now. 
So we went between the, the two poles of like $1,000 per pound, $1,500 on a very high end, and just said $1,250 a pound may be right, and I'll talk to some people in the industry and see if that's what they're sourcing their flour at. Now, like, if you're in Colorado, what's what's a bulk pound going for? I mean, $1,000 on a good day. There's so many greenhouses coming up, yeah. you can get seven, eight hundred bucks, but quality suffers a little bit. But yeah, and then, and then like in Oregon, in Oregon, when they have outdoor grows and you have like 2.5 pounds per plant and it's, it's just a different world, I hear it gets down as far as like 400 bucks a pound, but yeah. that's getting into like hemp flower territory. So in Illinois, where it's very restricted supply, all grown indoor, we're assuming a 1250 pound per uh, THC uh, cannabis. Yeah, and I think it's conservative. I think that the first people, the early adopters to get these licenses will probably do better on the first couple of turns. So getting it right in the first couple is very important. So we spitballed 1250 with good reason. Um, so total pounds a year, you're looking at about 2000 pounds per year. That's assuming five cycles per year, six if possible. Um, just to keep the numbers kind of congruent, I stuck with five for all these models. Um, so that's 2.6 mil a year. That's not bad for a gross. I mean, you can definitely run a business on that. And when you scale up, if you do get blessed with the 14,000 foot ramp up, that's a very solid business and you can operate on that. Hey, Bryce. Um, yeah. Can you recommend like for a small grower, somebody wants to get started and taste the LED life? What, what would be like a personal, like what should I get for a small time purchase? Um, I really recommend for like less than 10 lights, look at the horticultural, excuse me, horticulture lighting group, HLG. Their HLG, um, I think it's their R spec or B spec. They've got really nice, and it's some assembly required, but they're really nice output and quality of light for the dollar. Um, in a commercial setting, I would recommend something a little hardier. But if you're going to be starting off and you want to get a really high quality fixture, look at HLG. I don't have them on my product card, my website right now, but it's actually in my notes to um, work with those guys because I think they put together a great product. Right on. Yeah. So like this is this is year one with the plain vanilla uh, HPS system. You're looking at 2.5, 2.6 million dollars. That's probably going to be your entire cost of construction, build out, all that stuff to get you open for business uh, at a 5,000 square foot refurb uh, outside of the metropolitan Chicago land area where the price of real estate is reasonable, which isn't bad. It means like you're going to make back your entire investment in one year. That's a sick business, but. It's going to get sicker because that's just the old legacy systems. Yeah, and so that's going to get you off the ground cheap. That's fine. That will work for a year or two. But your price to produce a pound is going to be higher than somebody who goes into an LED system. Just in a conservative, low-end LED system, it's, it's very achievable to hit 1.5 grams per watt. Your fixtures are only pulling six to 700 watts from the wall. Um, assuming all the other things are the same, you kind of break even on the yield. Let's call that a wash. 2.5 in a year, but you're using 37% less power. Now, if we had a bigger whiteboard and got a half an afternoon, we can go through and show you when that's going to pay off. But the theoretical yields and the achievable yields of an efficient LED system can be even better. Um, another gram per watt, up to 2.3, 2.4. There's people that are getting these numbers off of LED. That's when you start crushing it. Um, that's, I mean, pushing three and three quarter million. And 
That's a 5,000 square feet yes. of uh, flower and canopy space. We use that specifically because that's what a craft grower requires. Yep. So you're talking about 2.3 grams per watt of just the lighting, not taking in. Now, would this be, uh, do you know any companies that can provide like a quarter million dollar system like this, like a Sage company out there with the name? Yeah, Sage Lighting Solutions can help you find this. And then also we can help um, serious operations finance it. Um, we do 15% down, 15% APR, 36 month terms, and $1 buy-off. Well, wait a second. So you're telling me that there is some financing options in the cannabis, uh, cannabis space? Yes. We work with private equity because we know the struggle of going through the traditional banking system. If you do find a way to get through a traditional banking system, the best terms you're going to find are 15 to 16%. I'm speaking for my numbers, guys. You guys might be able to do better. But um, a three-year turn, you can talk to your accountant, too, about the benefits of equipment leasing. Um, there's operational costs versus CapEx costs. There's a lot of benefits to doing it this route. It buffers the um, initial cost. And then if we can persuade the local authorities into a rebate system, you could actually be cash negative or cash neutral or cash positive in the first year, taking the lighting expense off your books so you can focus on the rest of your operation. So that's the model that we've adapted. I've taken my experience of... Uh, research and development and product spec because we only finance products that I believe are going to run well for three years because we set our um, customers up for success. Great. So uh, that's that's a big in, uh, inspiring to me. If I was going to be one of the people that was going to put my hat into the ring for trying to raise approximately $2.5 million to put together the highest quality craft grow application that I can, and I was an investor, I'm shopping this to investors. I want to make sure that I'm going to score highly, so I want to make sure that I'm going to have something that is tailored specifically for the green aspects and how we can you know, say that we're not going to be sucking that much power. We're actually going to be saving 37% of power, and then I'm going to be able to tell my investors it's going to be this much more profitable because of it, and then I'm going to be able to tell my investors we're going to get points because we've actually addressed this without going to the, the older systems that's going to also screw with our HVAC systems, plus... You get to make all your, your investment back in a year or less. That is uh, one of the reasons why there will probably be well over, uh, we're, we're expecting approximately a 10 to 1 ratio. So there's 40 craft grow licenses. It wouldn't surprise me if there's 400 craft grow applications. Hey, uh, uh, Brian, what does a, um, I'm looking at your website now. What does a buyer's guide evolve? Um, the buyer's guide is my, I've actually got to update it now because the product portfolio moves so quickly, but um, there's a lot of light science in there. There's a rundown of like the top five vendors that we work with, uh, really the top five vendors in the space, in my opinion. Um, some of those may or may not be on the next revision, so look out for that. But um, yeah, we just kind of run through the technology, the history, a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, but then I actually look at uh, products based on, um, I've got an internal ranking system. Then we just do some basic metrics like you know cost per output and things like that for people to make an informed decision. Um, I only recommend commercial and industrial application stuff. So there are products like I mentioned before that don't fall into that for larger scale. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a lengthy 40-page read for anybody who wants to dive into which LED is the best. So uh, are, you, are you guys also doing analytics on uh, like type strains that are more receptive to different lighting as well, or is this more a generic? No, I don't get too much into the actual cannabis application. It's really high level just to look at the manufacturers and their product portfolios. Um, in the strain specific stuff, I can get some data. 
it's really best, especially in a new market, to just find what works well for you and your grower. Um, I mean, I could tell you some producers, but I think it's best to just find it out. And a good grower will go through that process. There's also some difference in nutrients and stuff like that. Um, I don't dive too much of that into that in the buyer's guide. Um, a friend of mine, Christopher Sloper, wrote uh, the LED grow light book, and he dives into more of the actual application technique. Um, and again, if anybody wants to reach out with questions, oh, actually, I got to do a little plug. Next week, um, the 14th, so a week from today, I'll be doing an AMA with the Growers Network. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so it's open to the public. So I'm inviting anybody who remembers to come on and check it out. I'll be posting about it on our social, so look for it on Instagram. Um, I'll also plug the Growers Network. They have a wicked YouTube channel. You should totally subscribe to them if you have not already. Tana Cribs, those guys Tana are awesome. Cribs, yeah. They're trying to be um, high level and professional, um, unlike a lot of people in this space. So yeah, definitely shout out to Growers Network. And I'll be doing an AMA with those guys next week to answer a lot of like more of the detailed um, cultivation questions, if anybody has them. Awesome. Now, let me, let me get back into my, um, I'm a very jaded bank attorney, businessman type person. So I want to grow this crap grow from 5,000 to 14,000, because that's how you can maximize it uh, according to the statute. But you have to be a good player and you already have to have a license. But I want to bake that into my cake, my pro formas. Now, if I'm going to try to go and roughly triple the size of my uh, canopy space for flowering, can I do that without having to do more build-outs of actual rooms with an LED system? Could I like, for example, grow up? Yes, <clears throat> perfect uh, segue. So you can go to the vertical applications is what he's getting at. You can do it as long as you've done your work in the pre-planning to make sure that your propagation, your beds, your cloning spaces, and then also your processing spaces all meet that load. But yeah, you could do, um, and I think I came out to about a 11,000 square foot facility to get a really nice dialed 5,000 square foot in bloom. Um, I think you probably want to go up to 12 to 15,000 to okay. really cover 14,000, but that seems like that's a bigger number in a smaller space. But if you've got that 5,000 square foot footprint and, you know, the only downside is you have to gut your old system and put in the rolling racks, but you can triple your square footage of uh, cultivation canopy in that space using vertical um, applications. But doing that vertical grow, aren't you still um, blocking some light to the bottom as well? Because you're, you're now you're layering, right? And well, you got your yeah, you have actually three tiers of lights. So you have oh, okay. light, canopy, light, canopy, light, canopy. Um, you'll see it a lot in the more developed markets like Colorado. A lot of people are converting to that because real estate is such a premium. Oh, real estate in Colorado is way more expensive than in Illinois. <laughs> it's just corn here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Except for uh, well, because what I've seen is a pretty neat little setup where the plant would grow and then the light was on a uh, an elevator system right above the plants. So as the plants kept growing, the the light would you know keep the distance, not to burn the plants. Uh, is it better to to have like a close with LEDs? Do you have to be up to you know right there, or can you keep a what's the distance an LED light can be away? So a lot of manufacturers still say this because they're trying to bolster their performance numbers. They say, oh, six inches from the fixture, you're going to get 1,200 ppfd. Um, at the canopy, which is true, but most people and plants can't really handle that light level. And now the LED fixtures are to the point where we can keep them 18 inches away from the canopy. Because when you, get, when you get six inches away from the canopy too, you can't really do any work. 
you know, if, you're, if your crop is within the last four weeks and you're trying to get in a six inch space, it's just not feasible. Yeah. There's some people that push for it. I'm not an advocate of it because you can't really scope your crop either. So I think 12 to 18 inches away from the fixture, you can still get eight to 900 to 1,000 micromoles at the canopy level. Um, and like I said, with LED, you get a, a reduced rate of decay, you get better light uniformity. So that, you know, you get a nice safe working space at uh, 12 to 18 inches. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to slam it on them anymore. That's a that's another misnomer that's out the window. Are yeah. trellises built into these systems that you build? I mean, like, because uh, the trellising that you have to do uh, to you know, maximize yield, that could kind of be a sticky situation if you're trying to do it and it's not already pre-set up for it. Yeah, so you go into the certain stage of growth, um, usually week three to four, depending on when your stretch ends. Mm -hmm. A lot of people defoliate at that point and they'll strip a lot of leaf off of it, put the trellis in place, and then finish the cycle. Okay. So you have to implement it at some time. Some people have, there's, you ask 10 growers one question, you get 11 answers. Okay. So there's one has two answers. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a million different ways to do it, but that's in the rolling rack system. So it's like, um, I guess a bunch of like bookshelves at a library, but they actually butt together, but you move them apart to get down a central walkway and you can move one and get in and get in. So you have basically four by eight tray sections and it's easier to manage in those like modular sections. So if you put it in a certain time, you wouldn't really build in a trellis in a normal um, industrial system. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the models. I think we covered all the notes. We did, but except for the five cycles a year, how many cycles? And I am assuming I'm first going to need to be uh, educated as to what is a cycle and how many can I get in a year? Yeah. So since this is centered around 5,000 square feet in bloom, that's when you take, you know, just a leafy plant and grow it into a flower. And that's what goes to the shop or into your edibles or your vape pen. When, um, you know, a flowering cycle takes about 60 days. There are some strains, um, indicas are shorter, sativas are longer. There's some strains that'll go out to 90 days. Most commercial facilities aren't growing those. At max, most people are chopping around 60 to 70 days. There's a lot of purists and a lot of craft growers that will hopefully go longer because the longer for different strains is way better. But 60 days, let's call that an average. 365 divided by 60, you could get six cycles. That's assuming you can go through and clear your room out in one day and refill it the next day. Not impossible, not necessarily feasible. So we look at five cycles per year. Um, and in my calculator, I even you know bump up to 5.5 is realistic. Um, and if you're in a certain type of setup where you're doing perpetual harvest, your averages come out better. But uh, a safe number is five cycles per year. Six cycles per year would be crushing it. Yeah. Awesome. So if we had five cycles a year for a craft grow, you're looking at about 2,084 pounds that year of high quality HPS grown flour. Uh, 1965, so just about the same for the LED. Now this LED here, is this a $250,000 system or is this a cheaper system? This is the same 250K. This is just better, excuse me, performance numbers under the same system. So this is, I think, conservative to where you'll actually start out at, and this is your goal to get to. So these are the same fixtures. How do, you do, how do you make the, the transfer? If it's the same same rig, mm -hmm. how do you get, how do you go from 1.5 to 2.3? Because that's almost an extra gram 
Pay your wife. Pay your wife. Pay your growers as much as you pay your lawyer. Pay your growers. But actually, that is true. I've been recommending uh, master growers. They should yeah. get signing bonuses and equity kickers. And performance kickers. Because that's right. This yeah. is all on the grower and the optimization of the system. CO2, master your environment, and grow like a champ. I mean, there's a lot of master growers out there, but a lot of them start crying when they start trying to grow under LED because it's different. It is totally doable, but it takes time. So this is an optimized system. This is an out-the-gate system. Hey, Brian. Yes, sir. With the, uh, the recent uh, legalization of hemp, have you seen any uh, hemp inside indoor grows? That's the one that I never really heard of. Yeah, actually, I'm talking to some guys right now down in North Carolina. Um, they no, they're outside of Raleigh. Okay. Yeah. But they're really interested in, they've got a long-term vision. They want to get to fiber and fuel and seed eventually. Yeah. They're starting with 50,000 square feet indoor for boutique flower, for smokable flower. Nice. Um, yeah, and that, I mean, the price to produce a pound, it's going to be justified for a couple years. Like, the price to produce a pound under HPS, I think, is around 700 bucks. So if you're selling for 1,000 bucks a pound, you're only making 300, 300 bucks. You can cut that down significantly under LED, and that's what we're going to help him do. Right. I'm already kind of gearing him to start indoors and move outdoors just for feasibility. Um, uh, so kind of like having a nursery indoors with your mothers and then put the clones outside to let the sun do it. Yeah, greenhouse. I mean, you can really do very well in a greenhouse. The Oregon greenhouse does very well um, for smuggle flower. Right. And then some of those greenhouses, they have the ability to flower year-round, and they usually do – they have, like, some – light setup, not the full one, mm -hmm. because you're using the sun to kind of leverage it, but they will have some lights that are put into it. Is that going to be, you're not allowed to do it in Illinois for an, a, a, an adult use. Those have to be grown purely indoor, but we're talking now about hemp. You know, it's, it's cannabis legalization news, not just marijuana legalization news. So, in, in uh, like Oregon, right. um, where they have like, on the, not necessarily, okay, on the coast, not inland, they're very cool and cloudy a lot of the time. So I've worked in greenhouses in Oregon that actually have lights on the same grid that you would grow indoors with. So that when the clouds are over, they've got the lights completely fired up, but they take the most advantage of the sunlight that they get. Right. Now, sure. in, um, uh, a lot of those systems are light deprivation. So right. they'll actually, in the summertime, they'll black out the tent or the whole greenhouse so they can keep the flowering cycle of 12-12 going. Yeah. Um, but supplemental lighting in greenhouses is absolutely key. and um, a lot of production states like Oregon and the, the Northwest are going that direction for hemp and for THC. Uh, Maybe one day Illinois will change their laws and allow for these types of uh, greenhouses. And I don't know, you'll have to have like a demilitarized zone around it, armed guards or something, and it'll just still be as safe. But for right now, you really have to grow indoors with these systems in closed, locked facilities, key cards, all this stuff. There's probably a lot of overlapping security between uh, Colorado and the state of Illinois when it comes to the type of, you know, surveillance that is involved in these facilities. Well, that's that whole seed to sale thing you're talking about. Yeah, there's a lot of that, that seed to sale thing. There's not hemp. Hemp, they really kind of start the seed and they just make sure that that seed has some type of veracity that it's not gonna be hot. And by that, I mean, it's not gonna contain more than 0.3% Delta 9 THC. Well, that's why I think the future for hemp growing is gonna be indoors in places like Washington where there are outdoor marijuana plants. Nobody wants to burn a whole, uh, you know, uh, harvest because it has too much THC. 
So, you know, indoors can be the way to go. Yeah, and when you have absolute control of your environment and your lighting and your cycle timing, it definitely makes sense. Um, and, you know, better technology means better price to produce pound. And I, I keep getting amazed at the prices for some of this top shelf hemp. So yeah, the, the top shelf hemp is amazing, but I don't know if I have, I, I talked to a lot of geneticists too, and we'll have to have some of them. A lot of the science does come out from Colorado because it's just, it's been in the lead the longest. And uh, that's just kind of how it works. But then the geneticists that you're talking to that have been doing and, and growing the flower for decades are super excited about now that they're able to get at it and they're able to start diversifying it and they're able to start not just getting into the flower from the THC and then the THCB and the CBG and then all these other cannabinoids, but also the terpenes that go with it so they can get flavor profiles and other medicinal benefits from the plant. And that's before you have like hemp for Patagonia or Levi's. So like, I would not be surprised at all if in three years, uh, there were proprietary seed genetics for Patagonia, for hemp, I'm sorry, for Levi's, uh, for their own uh, growths that they have. And that's freaking cool, you know? Well, at that point, it's gonna be a textile versus uh, uh, components, right? Yeah, yeah, right now everybody's chasing the nutraceuticals, but right. looking forward, it's food, fiber, and fuel. Yeah. Those lower value, but still way higher value than traditional agricultural crops. So that's a, that's a whole other exciting world right now. Well, it really is, because when you see those estimates that the cannabis industry will be $132 billion in 10 years, that's not just uh, adult use cannabis. It's also the nutraceuticals for the CBD, the CBGs, but then it is the fiber, the fuel, and then I think it's going to be more along the lines of building materials because if you can replace plastic with hemp or wood flooring with hemp, there's going to be a lot of science that's going into this plant in the next 10 years. It's going to be awesome. Hey, on this note, which I think we've learned a lot, I do have to go back to work. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, Miggy, I will see you next Thursday. I'm right excited. I don't, I don't get in until like late at night. I'll see you next Friday, though. And yeah, for sure. Wednesday, we'll probably have another one of these shows. Hey, quick question. Did they, I, I saw that the public use permit was in jeopardy for the hemp fest. Did they ever get that sorted out? So, I mean, it's every, every year, the city of Seattle, for whatever reason, likes to um, hostage hemp fest for, uh, you know, nickel and dime. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, uh, one of the biggest issues is Expedia is not allowing access to like I said, in this mile and a half stretch of land, which is a, a city park, state park, um, there's an entrance where people come in and then they try and flow the traffic out on, on another end so people can just keep going in and out. That way there's no congestion in the city. But Expedia and their infinite wisdom is not allowing Hempfest access to these areas they've been using for over 20 years. So right now that's what's going on, but Hempfest will be going on. The uh, permits, are, as far as I know, are good to go. It's just a matter of uh, working around the not friendly neighbors. Well, just blaze safely. That sounds like a good time. Every day. Looking forward to it. Cool. All right. Well, I really want to thank Ryan for coming on the show and explaining to us that your craft grow could be printing 3.7 in change million dollars annually if you have a master grower that knows how to maximize yields on LED lighting systems. Yeah. All right. Well, Lauren, yeah, are you going to be able to take us out? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Um, Brian, where can we find you? Follow uh, you. Watch what's going on at Instagram, 
Instagram, Sage Lighting Solutions, um, sage.lighting.solutions. And then our website is um, just www.sage.lighting.com. And um, I've got a YouTube channel too. I've just finished editing some content for some product reviews and stuff too that's going to go up uh, later this week. So um, yeah, Sage Lighting, you'll find me. Uh, Brian Gandy too will get you there on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Thanks, next weekend or next Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> next Wednesday. Thanks, awesome. everybody. Thank Bye. you. So are we out? Okay, I think we're